Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And if you're a multifamily investor, any kind of real estate investor, Gray Report is the place where you want to be. We're covering all the latest research reports, data, articles, throwing out some original opinions on the multifamily industry, real estate in general, and then just the economy at whole. And this week, we have some incredible news. A lot has happened just in the last 24 and 48 hours. We've got Matt Bosnagel, Director of Communications and Marketing here at Great Capital, can help us break it all down. He's staying just white on rice on top of all of this stuff. It's really awesome. So we're going to be looking at GDP print. Came out yesterday. Fed, the FOMC committee, another 75 basis points raised to the Fed funds rate. And so that begs the question, are, just, are we in a recession? We've been talking about it here for months now, the Gray Report. But also, we've got a single-family home market that's cooling. Multifamily is still looking pretty good. But then the question of, has all of the momentum in the market, is it shifted to the suburbs? Is that the new place to be? Well, we're going to be talking about all of that and more. So let's strap in and get into it. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Gray Report. Matt Bosnagel joining us again. Matt, how's it going? Exciting uh, report this week. Yeah, pretty good. Um, a lot of things have been happening, uh, not, the, not the least of which is the interest rate and the GDP numbers came in. Uh, yeah, a lot of changes, and, uh, and it was very easy to write, <laughs> to write the newsletter this week. This is, this so is a little bit of- There was no question of what, what needs to be in, in the report. Yeah, not, not exactly. And uh, yeah, this is a, this is kind of the curse of interesting times a little bit, but um, not so much maybe for, for the multifamily market, which, which I can kind of explain. Yeah, multifamily seems to be going you know, relatively you know, kind of steady as she goes, at least from the performance side. Demand seems to be incredibly strong. Still price discovery kind of in the acquisition space with interest rates being high and buyers just not sure if they're willing to pay up um, so much like they were last year. Um, with interest rates higher, they're going to have to be using negative leverage because the cap rates are still low. A lot of groups waiting to see, are the, can these cap rates rise a little bit? And we'll see how much they do. I think we've already seen kind of 25 to 50 basis points in some markets. But Matt, let's get into multifamily in just a little bit. Let's talk about some of these um, macro stories um, because... Uh, a lot of stuff going on. First, um, just what came out this morning is a print of GDP. Now, again, th these are early numbers. They're going to be revised, Matt, as you were just mentioning earlier. So take it a little with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, I think we had a decent idea that this was going to come in negative because of the posturing from the, the Biden administration of basically uh, messaging all this week and a little bit last week of, hey, just because we have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, that doesn't technically mean we're in a recession, although maybe technically it does, but I guess it all depends on who you ask in the committee. And now we're talking about semantics. I feel as though anytime you're arguing about those semantics, you've no. kind of seated. No, the, there's a the committee. Debate. There's a committee. That committee gets together. They think very hard and then they tell us if the economy is doing poorly and if there's if we're in a recession. It's kind of like if it's raining outside. Um, I, uh, I don't know if it's actually raining until I look and the meteorologist tells me I could get wet, but what do I know? So you gotta have that committee because otherwise what, what would reality be? I don't know. 
That's a good. That's a good point. So we're going to wait from this committee to tell us. Um, so there's no politics in that committee, I assume. It's all just very empirical. No, n- nothing. No politics involved, right? <laughs> that's right. So I mean, I guess let's just look at the facts for the facts. I mean, why even call recessions recessions? Because if you know. <laughs> If it's a moving definition, then we're just describing economic conditions that, you know, aren't ideal. We're having a a contraction. And is there any argument out there that we're not seeing some kind of contraction and a a resetting of asset prices across across the globe? Um, Yeah, I I think especially the global aspect of it is, is very true. This is not just a national phenomenon for sure. And what will be interesting, you're right, it's it's not it's not a U.S problem. In fact, Europe is in a much worse case than the United States. I mean, the United States is doing relatively well. I mean, the dollar is incredibly strong right now because we've risen rates, um, you know, quite a bit where a lot of other um, economies and central banks have, they've risen a little bit, but they still have relatively loose monetary policy. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, um, the World Bank just issued warnings uh, this week for a, you know, potential global recession. Um, and then a lot of other calls for a recession, you know, early in 2023, followed by um, actually a declines in interest rates where the Fed will, would lower rates after a recession. So some people calling that saying there will be a recession. It's going to be in a couple of months. But again, it begs the question, has it already begun or is yeah. just the first inning? Um, and, you know, we it's yet to be seen. And it's going to be an interesting um, 12 to 18 months for for sure you know it does i i will say you know less on the less like hyperbolic front um it, it is kind of a little bit difficult to see where we are um with like you know we're in the middle of something and it's hard to figure out we don't have the perspective yet um and and part of this is we don't have the information yet there's all these economic figures that come out every month but a lot of times they're revised um this quarterly number for gdp could be revised up or down um, and we and we kind of don't know, but <laughs> my thing is I don't I don't think that the boiling frog metaphor works right now. I think that a lot of people are worried, rightly worried, about the economy, and and I think they'd jump right out of these overheated conditions if they could. Um, I think I think that's a good point. I I think maybe the metaphor does hold true, but it just they're not they're not warming up the water slowly. It's <laughs> The, yeah. the water's boiling, they're throwing the frogs in, and the frogs are jumping. Yeah. I mean, well, and, maybe and, it's just because we're mammals. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not, we're not cold blood. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, hey, Matt, you want to turn this Barron's piece? Um, when will inflation, inflation peak experts weigh in? Um, because I, I think that a lot of this discussion on whether it's GDP, growth, interest rates, is this question of inflation. And there's a lot of experts now saying we are at peak inflation. Yeah. Um, there have been experts that have been saying that for the last 18 months also. So I, I think mm-hmm. taking it with a healthy grain of salt, um, because while there are a lot of uh, factors such as supply chains, um, you know, COVID shutdowns that have, you know, eased up, we're having all now the secondary and tertiary effects mm-hmm. uh, of that, of, you know, the prices rising and some of these feedback loops of, rents rising and housing rising and then wages rising and then prices rising more and then housing rising even more because there people are making more money um and as we've seen you know the rent increases and the housing prices really going up especially like mortgage rates that's happened recently um Mm -hmm. kind of after a lot of these supply chain issues were worked through as housing prices rise often that leads to further wage growth 
and we're really starting to see wage growth accelerate, that is going to be inflationary. Um, but what are the, what are some of these experts say? They're certainly smarter than um, than I am, man. I don't know. I don't know about I you know. About I, you. I I always try to kind of get. I wonder what, what what's the consensus. Um, they don't they don't poll every single economist every month, unfortunately, um, or probably fortunately, because they would go crazy. Um, but yeah. this was a nice, almost like a five in one. Um, and and uh, they asked them, has inflation peaked? And guess what? You know, Emily Rubin, Robert Phipps. Uh, Jennifer Cute, Eric Bealy, Samira Arakat, and Randy Randy Bruins, all of them pretty much say that inflation probably has peaked. So um, I, I think that, you know, maybe you can put your money back under the mattress and put all your cares away because inflation has peaked and it's on the way down, according to, to all of these sources. Um, but more seriously, I, I think that discussions that we have hit peak inflation um, those discussions that were circulating a few weeks ago have really started to build momentum, and um, and I'm there's still a lot of uncertainty. It's funny when you when when you were talking earlier, I, I kept thinking of the headlines that I was writing and reading, you know, a year and a half and two years ago about how multifamily is this island of stability amongst economic uncertainty. Now we had the we had the beginning of the pandemic at that point, and now we have kind of inflation and interest rates now. Um, but the but it's but if you're talking about uncertainty period, well, uh, multifamily does not have that at least. At least the the fundamentals are are very strong for for apartments. But on the other side, we've got this inflation, and no one knows quite when it's peaked or not. Um, but but the hope is that it's going down. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, multifamily, you know, certainly isn't uh, immune, immune and completely separated and not completely uncorrelated from markets. Yeah. But man, if you go back through and look at you know, the last, you know, four or five recessions, um, especially if you if we're in one now and then the pandemic, um, multifamily did really, really well. And even back if you go back to the great financial crisis where there was an actual housing crisis and a complete collapse of the financial system, uh, you know. Apartments they decline in value, um, but if you were owning a stabilized cash flowing apartment, you know mm -hmm. you you didn't lose your shirt. You just had to hold on for a couple of years, and you were just fine. And if you had the ability to hold on, you actually make quite a bit of money, even if you purchased kind of at the peak, um, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah. So now, think, uh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. There there is a connection um, between between the economy. I was I was trying to say that we're the island, but. I guess no no apartment is an island, <laughs> and uh, a more compelling argument about inflation actually comes from one of these economists, Emily Rubin, um, and and from UBS, and she says that categories like labor and housing are going to be stickier when it comes to inflation. And then another economist poll says says that uh, the delayed way in which housing data data are reflected in the inflation numbers is likely to make inflation look even worse than it actually is over the next three to six months. Um, that was Robert Phipps that said that. And I I tend to agree, and, and we've talked about this before, how it's a little bit of, uh, there is more momentum at least when it comes to uh, apartment prices. And and I don't think that we've seen the end of it at all. Maybe this is just the beginning of, of, of apartments. And I've mentioned this before, of apartments driving inflation. I, th I think so too, and I'm and we we've mentioned this, man. Just anecdotally, there's much more conversations around apartments and rents 
um, in the mainstream financial press than there typically is. Usually it's a sector that's just kind of ignored. It's not that sexy. It's not that exciting compared to Tesla and crypto and, you know, Apple's mm -hmm. earnings. Um, but, you know, whether it's on Bloomberg or, or your CNBCs, um, they're talking a lot about rents and how, you know, rents, there's no real evidence that rents are going to be declining um, anytime soon. If only yeah. they're just going to continue growing. Although most are saying that, you know, they are going to have to moderate at some point because, you know, we can't keep growing at 15%, <laughs> which is five times your average rate of growth yeah. for a year, every single year. You know, we're going to have it, you know, basically two years in a row. Um, that's an incredible amount of time compression in terms of um, rent growth. Yeah. Um, so obviously purchasing can be challenging a higher interest rate environment. There's negative leverage out there that you have to watch out for. Um, still opportunities to make mistakes, but again, the fundamentals are really strong. Transition though, Matt, not necessarily yeah. the case in the single family home market. Um, US new home sales dropped to two year low in June. Um, you know, that, that doesn't sound great, but from what I understand, Matt, we're ha we haven't seen any kind of decline in pricing for single family homes. Um, we've yeah. just seen a slowdown in the actual growth. So bring everybody up to speed with what's going on in the single family home space, which is directly yeah. related to multifamily and those higher mortgage rates are driving more and more people to apartments. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's what I think is interesting. And, and what you know if we saw an actual price cool down now we'll get to the kind of case the, to the case shiller numbers that were released in the past week um but the the sales numbers uh they're down 8.1 percent since last month and seven and they're down 17.4 percent since last year um and this is the kind of uh, the last month of a of several months of slowing uh apartment sales figures so the expectation was that we'd get 660,000 new home sales last month, but the reality was closer to 590. Um, they even revised last month's numbers down from 696 to 642. Um, what does this mean? I think it means that people aren't buying as many new homes, which is uh, which is what it says. <laughs> now, Reuters does mention that new home sales are just a fraction of total home sales, but yeah. even so, they're clearly down. Um, what I think this really means, you know, like you said, we got super high mortgage rates. And um, the article also pushes hard on the mortgage rate factor. And um, the article says that we're at 5.54%, which is more than two, point, two percentage points higher than it was in January. Uh, it's going to be more than 5.54%. Yeah. You know, Matt, how much do you think the industry psychology uh, is affecting the consumer? Not, I'm not, this is kind of going back to the recession um, mm -hmm. discussion we were having a minute ago, but you know, specifically single family homes, um, but the consumer at large um there's all this talk about recession we're, we're doing it right now mm -hmm. um and all this fear in the economy and uncertainty even though rate wages are rising unemployment is incredibly low but there's this kind of like acknowledgement that like yeah things are screwed up right now we're like going through some pain we don't know what it's going to look like but you know we're going to be going through something and we got to be prepared i mean and i've seen some extreme examples of people like getting ready everything yeah. from you've seen things online for people like you know selling their house like selling their belongings like you know or, you know getting their cash ready which is very extreme to people yeah. you know cutting back on advertising um to you know not spending a certain mm -hmm. amount not taking maybe that trip even though you know travel luxury travel is is continuing to come back but people just questioning is you know right now to spend money which then makes this recession um we, we cause it to happen ourselves yeah um you know well, we, it, we, it, we we will it into existence 
And, and and I was talking to uh to Addison from uh you know our, our co-worker Grand Capital and and I was saying like you know it, it is it is frustrating that everyone has got a bad attitude about the economy but they're spending you know there is activity but it's this kind of nervous activity this like yeah, activity true. in preparation for and and I don't know you know to a certain extent activity is activity because that's what's driving inflation up but like it does seem like the perfect you know this is the mindset of, of of a population in an inflationary environment their spending is motivated by nervousness to, uh towards the future by the assumption that their dollars are going to be worth less in the future so they're buying more today and yeah. that's the scary kind of animal spirit that uh that i don't want to guide the economy at this point that that is true man i mean i'm just thinking of um just you know, some anecdotes of you know, thinking about like for us, you know, for like, let's talk about, you know, great capital, for example. And, you know, if we can't, you know, if we can't buy any apartments, so we can't make any acquisitions, which, you know, we, I think we still are going to be able to be able to do. But like, let's say we can't because the market just doesn't support it right now. We can't hit mm -hmm. our, you know, return metrics. Well, you know, maybe we don't bring on, you know, a couple other people this year. Yeah. Our, our rate of hiring slows down because we're like, hey, we're not doing any deals. Um, you know, we're thinking about, you know, a family that's, you know, hey, maybe we, instead of flying somewhere we're going to drive somewhere on vacation or we don't get that car we don't uh make that we don't build that addition i i was talking to an owner of a furniture store kind of a higher end um, furniture store last week and he said that the faucet's been turned off last year they couldn't keep up with demand everything was you know six months out to order now it's just people have stopped people are just aren't buying you know that that new couch or that you know that one lamp that they don't really need that they would like whereas last year people were just spending 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 yeah and a lot of this is psychology because when you look at kind of the undercurrents of what everybody's making everyone's making more than they were last mm -hmm. year now the the markets um you know you look at your stock portfolio it's way down and, and i'm wondering if um if how much of an effect of just people looking at their 401ks how what kind of that just that wealth effect even though it's all on paper what mm -hmm. is that doing to the individual saying you know i had a million dollars last year in my retirement account i now have eight hundred thousand well you know, know seven hundred thousand half from a million the, from half. The, <laughs> don't don't do it <laughs> and it's gone yeah 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 um but see that almost like from the perspective of the fed they must be kind of almost patting themselves on the back look they raised Just rates the economy want. cooled off is exactly what they want and and you know if if it was their assumption then that might mean that uh that all they've got to do maybe turn maybe lower rates again and they got <laughs> that's funny yeah <laughs> all they've got to do is is lower rates again and then maybe they bring the economy back um I, now that's a very rosy picture obviously it's a lot more complicated than that but um but there are signs that the supply chain at least maybe driven by less demand but some of this, some of these material prices are going down. Oil prices are going down. Um, all these, all of these economists are saying that perhaps inflation has peaked, and there is this monetarist uh, monetarism, uh, this money supply argument that mm -hmm. says that. And, and this is an article that we were unable to include um, this week. But basically, the argument: if you take a chart, like we're including of, it now. Yeah, I know. Sorry, dang it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's if good. If you take a chart of the, it's called the M2 money supply. And it, and if you if you move that forward by 13 months, it perfectly mirrors uh, where we're at with the economy. Now that that's that chart that you can see right there, and you can see how uh, it is. It just follows 
are it just follows up the inflation numbers right there now we turned on the faucet 13 months ago and now we're kind of and then we started you know turning it off a little and now that's that's what's happening now um it's, it's yeah. a pretty convincing a, mm. a pretty convincing chart no, the only thing I, I'd like to add to to that, not being an economist, but I, I believe the the other piece to not just the um, money supply, um, but is the velocity of the money because you you can create a lot of money. Like for for example, um, in after the great financial crisis, you know we did a lot of quantitative easing. The money supply increased quite a bit, not like the pandemic, but increased quite a bit. But the velocity of money was so low that it didn't cause inflation and with the understanding that inflation is really the, um, the money supply and increase in money supply, um, you know, times the velocity of that money, um, or something pretty close to that. And yeah. so I think the mon the money supply is, is a major element, which we've saw the largest increase of the money supply to your point in the pandemic and people are spending more money fears of inflation again, the psych psychological element, got to spend it now because it's going to be worth less tomorrow mm -hmm. that increases velocity considerably mm -hmm. um and it's all coming back to and i just want to go back to the point that you made a minute ago of the federal reserve could just turn the faucet back on by lowering rates and yeah. that would you know that would be a you know a shock defibrillator shock to the mm -hmm. economy whether that the in the short term yeah, prices would go up, everything would look great, everything would go green. The long-term effects, you know, could be major, incredibly inflationary because I'm just thinking for, you know, like a group like us that's trying to buy apartments, we have incredible growth right now mm -hmm. um, still and most likely for the next, you know, you know near, near term. Um, yeah. If someone's like, hey, you know, instead of paying a 5% interest rate, you can lock in that two and a half again. Um, well, my returns are going to skyrocket um, for what we could do right now. And so, yeah, we would lock in some, you know, 10-year, 35-year debt at incredibly low interest rates and great assets. Right now, it's difficult because it's negative leverage to do all to do well, that. And I think of that in the reverse right now. You know, that's the exactly. decision that a lot of businesses are making. It's like, well, you know, our financing, we've got to pay the bank now a lot more. And so we can't, we can't expand as much as we wanted to do. Um, yeah. And that's that to me is like that emotional the kind of real world effect I, a lot of times i think about the money supply it's this abstract thing but but it, it's really like the it, it makes the numbers not work for for mm -hmm. the more optimistic expansionary you know business plans and it's yeah so. it's true now let's kind of keep going let's keep going on like real estate maybe move away a little bit from the super macro but you know yeah i oh sorry well, I was going to say, I want to go to um, this multifamily dive piece, if that's yeah. all right, Matt. Well, these increased borrowing costs, dense sky high apartment valuations. Um, that's kind of what we're talking about, even though the fundamentals are really <laughs> strong. Um, but what's going to, what's going to so happen? Are we going to I, finally see uh, cap rates you, really rise? <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but I, I think there seems to be a slot. And this is, I, I'm an English major, and so I noticed a little bit of a verb tense issue in the headline of this article. The, the, the headline asks will, as if uh, the article is about something that's going to happen in the future, when really, and, and again, you know, this is probably nitpicky. I think the article may, maybe in the past tense, like have increased borrowing costs, dented sky high apartment valuations. Uh, I think the answer, when you put it that way, seems a little bit easier to find. And I think it's yes. I think it's already uh, had an effect. So do you think that they should have just deleted this article and just put 
Yes. Oh, okay. Just ch- let's just tweak the headline and then I'll still read the article. Or just just the, the this bottom sub headline A the H two just be yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. How much? That should be. It, it's you know, it, it's the exact question, Matt, that we were throwing out there in end of 2020 and early 2021 about inflation. It's not a question of if we're going to see a lot of inflation, if we're going to be in a high inflationary environment, it's for how much for how long. That mm-hmm. those, are the, those are the questions we, we were having. And it's a, I think it's a not the same but similar question of, yeah, there's going to be price adjustments. They're already happening. But how much for how long is that going to go on for? Um, and yeah, I think that this is um, and I note this in a, in a little bit later in my notes is how difficult it is to get perfect information about apartment valuations and cap rates uh like uh like perfect up to the moment info we don't we don't have that information they're not it's not necessarily like a stock that we can follow um and because it's not there's well because there's not perfect correlation between cap rates and interest rates and apartment valuations and we've seen there's multiple periods where interest rates rose and apartment valuations were flat or or increased and Mm -hmm. you know so we have kind of two different forces pulling you know one we have these kind of just technical you know interest rates that are rising which you know prevents you know the how much you can borrow on a property and reduces the returns but then at the same time you know we've got this article from globe street um that you know both blackstones come out saying you know, the slowdown of new construction of single family homes um and multifamily homes is going to lead to a continuing a lifting of rents and so again, yeah. we, we see the, the fundamentals of the performance of occupancy and um, rent levels at these properties doing incredibly well and, and are incredibly mm-hmm. strong, but we just have you know macro issues of, oh, hey, the, the cost to borrow to purchase these assets is, is slightly more, um, but which is going to weigh at, which is going to outweigh the other? Um, well, and, and it's interesting too, because first of all, you know, it, it, uh, on like the moment to moment basis, we don't have those numbers. And so we kind of rely on brokers opinions. Um, but if you're talking about like long-term trends and maybe, you know, securing yourself, this really, you know, th- these conditions grant some security to owners of cash flowing apartments more than those who are looking to achieve their returns after the sale of the property. Um, if you can kind of sit tight and wait it out, then you've got a real good, you've got a real good thing going. Well, and also, where where else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? What, you yeah. know, okay, you've got some money on the sidelines you have to deploy. You can leave it in cash, ready for an opportunity, which I don't think is a bad idea. But you're earning, you're you're losing, you know, what eight percent to inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, you can put it in, you know, the market, which is incredibly volatile. It's, you know, it's going to go up and down. Maybe not a bad idea because you know we're relatively low. You know, you're not buying at the height. Um, but there's a lot of risk. There's no tax advantages. Or there's an asset class that has you know similar grow, uh, growth prospects as the stock market, but with tax advantages and actually doing well right now. And so again, it's just this point of interest rates and cap rates and apartment prices not being that there's they're correlated, but they're not so tightly correlated because you also have this demand from investors who are saying, yeah, I, I want I'll take a slightly lower return because I want to be in the space. I want to be in yeah. multifamily. And again, talking about earlier of hearing on the financial financial media on you know CNBC and Bloomberg of people talking about you know apartments, um, which again you never used to see. Now there's a big difference though between the performance of REITs and actual private real estate, um, because REITs um, are in the public market; they can be traded. It's paper real estate, and if you look 
back in a higher inflationary environments, sometimes REITs don't, um, or in, especially in stagflation, REITs don't do that well, but often the private real estate underneath it does. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that's just linked to the valuations and how you know REITs are traded versus the you know illiquid nature of you know, private real estate. Um, yeah. So you've got all this demand that can act as uh, you know a limiter on the expansion of cap rates, a little bit of a ceiling. Um, now I'd say it's a little bit of a glass ceiling. There's nothing really preventing people from breaking through that. Yeah. Other than the psychology and what people want to do, where they think the market is going. And if you are concerned about the future, if you're concerned about inflation, you're buying a real asset that is uh, producing income that is limited in supply. There's not a huge pipeline for supply, especially you know where, where, where we're investing. It seems like a pretty good place to be. Oh, in that multifamily dive, they put some hard numbers to uh, to what you just said. According to Real Clear or Real Capital Analytics, the number of unique buyers in the market was 13% larger in the second quarter of 2022 compared to the same period in 2021. So there are more people entering this market, and it's you know because of because of the reasons why you just said there's there's not a whole lot of alternatives to uh, to these assets. And it's also a um there's some healthy aspects to this that's going on in the market right now. Um, I wouldn't say the multifamily market prior was over levered. Um, you know, I think probably average leverage is around 75% loan to value, relatively moderate, not, it's not hundred percent leverage. It's not eighties, nineties. Um, but now, you know, the leverage is kind of in that 50 to 70% range, which a lot of, a lot of leverage landing kind of like 60% LTV. So using less leverage, um, yeah, you're, it's going to reduce your return, but you know that's it also reduces risk. Um, so mm -hmm. the market in general is taking a much more risk off approach. And as a buyer and investor, um, you're going to have to kind of pay up in terms of how much money you have to bring to the table to close on these assets, which is removing some buyers in the first place so they can't come up with the equity. But it, it brings an, gives an opportunity um, to you know refinance in a couple of years. Um, maybe rates are a little bit lower. Hopefully, valuations are much higher and allow you to pull out a lot of that equity um, tax-free through a refinance. Um, so that's going to be pretty exciting when you are purchasing at a 50%, 65% LTV. Um, even if the value stays flat, if interest rates um, lower within the next five years or so, you can pull a lot of that cash out tax-free. It would be um, very kind of converse to kind of historical trends that values wouldn't be up slightly in five years. And so you might be able to fully de-risk the asset and pull all of your capital out, which is exciting. Yeah, and that's what that's another thing that I was noting too is like if you have that capacity to kind of sit tight, um, but if but on the uh, on the opposite end, you know, maybe you were making more of a kind of speculative play on the just uh, on just the end and, and just the sale of the property. If your if your sales coming up, if your loans come, you know, the terms of your loan is is ending, then um then you're entering in an environment that's that's not Great. It's not as appealing as the one that you. It's not, especially if you want to refinance. It's like it doesn't look like a great option right now. Yeah, yeah I mean, you may just have to sell it, and hopefully there are there are still buyers willing to pay a premium. I think that number is getting less and less, but they are they're still out there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're in the middle of a transaction right now, and, and we're basically getting the pricing that we want. So, you know, that's you know, it, it's still it is still happening. Um, Matt, I wanted to shift just real quick. Mm -hmm. um, first of all. Appreciate everyone watching this video, listening to the podcast. We'd really appreciate you subscribing to the channel, giving us a like, putting a comment below. Um, means a lot. It helps the channel, gets this information out to more people. But something else that I would um, 
I'd like to invite everyone to go and check out is the brand new Gray Capital website. Um, we've been working on this for, I don't know what, Matt, like a year or so. It seems like a long time. <laughs> um, you can check it out, graycapitalllc.com. Um, you can learn all about what we do at Gray Capital. Um, you can take a look at the different properties that are in our portfolio. You can learn all about the team, the company, our track record. Um, you learn about our investment vehicle, open to accredited investors, uh, which is the Gray Fund. Um, again, get full bios on, on our awesome, awesome team. Um, you can check out case studies. I think I think the case study piece, Matt, is really cool. You can kind of take a look at some of the properties that we've done um, either currently or in the past, full cycle projects, learn a little bit more, um, kind of what the business plan was, what the um, results of that project were. Of course, you can learn all about what it's like to invest with great capital, the team, whether it's through the fund or directly into a project itself. All those have a little bit of a higher minimum and learn all about the great fund, watch videos, learn why we think it's a, a good time to invest in apartments right now. Um, and uh, you know, schedule a meeting with a member of the great capital team to learn more about what we do here. Um, so anyway, check out the new website, greatcapitalllc.com. You will not regret it. It's awesome. All right, Matt, just to kind of close things out, let's talk about the, the suburbs. Ready to go? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. So you and I live in the city technically um but it used to be the suburbs back yeah we're the all the suburbs of somewhere that's true yeah we're all the suburbs of somewhere exactly um even in downtown it's the, the suburbs are right outside of downtown and just they were in the you know 19th century um yeah. but so there's a couple articles one from vox and one that marcus and millichap put out a, a video about um you know well vox's point of you know what if the suburbs are the you know really a first draft you know when we think of suburbs or you and i still probably think of suburbs if we think of um, at least here in the Midwest, we think of cornfields being, um, you know, uh, turned over and, um, you know, large subdivisions of mm -hmm. homes that all, you know, these vinyl vi villages that all homes that all kind of look the same kind of going in and quiet life, not a lot around, you know, you kind of have to drive into town. You're maybe 15 minutes away from something. The suburbs of our childhood, Matt, um, yeah. they've changed a lot. Um, there's often now more stuff going on up in the suburbs than there are, there is going on down in the city. And, um, and you know, this, yeah. it's funny. We kind of talk about this anecdotally and a little bit in the gray report about how the suburbs in, at least in Indianapolis, and I'm sure throughout the country are becoming these little downtowns almost. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a friend about the suburbs around Indianapolis and, and look, I don't want to live in a society where people living close to downtown don't have some kind of rivalry rivalry with people who live farther from downtown. Um, and and that being said, like we're all the suburbs of somewhere. Um, but I think that the suburbs are definitely changing. And the and the quote here is it, it says this desire to be near things is as likely to lure millennials leaving the city to seek less expensive housing as it is immigrants coming from countries with more traditional urbanism and remote workers looking for amenities they used to find near their urban offices. What makes suburbs desirable for many people today is not what Americans traditionally associate with the suburbs. It's vibrant dining scenes and uh, nightclubs, taller buildings and walkable developments. Um, so one of this, the undercurrents of this article, and, and I've said this before, is, is the idea that millennials want the same things they want downtown, 
to be there when they moved to the suburbs. More accurately, I think, and and Fox hints at this, but not as directly. Um, there is a big enough population in the suburbs that can support some of the downtown yeah. amenities. Now, sometimes get the grocery stores and the restaurants and the big box retailers. Yeah, and now sometimes there are heavy-handed government intervention, and and they you know kind of create a little district for everyone to gather around in. But I don't think that you're getting to that level unless you plan density, a little more density than your typical suburban neighborhood. And yeah. Sorry. And well, hasn't that to me, um, that seems to be the kind of the key to success for a lot of these suburbs that are yes. really, really thriving is that they have built out an urban core. Oftentimes mm -hmm. not big, but there is an urban core. Um, and others that really haven't are kind of still sprawled out and have, they're still, they're growing, but they're not growing at the same extent. And they're kind of playing catch up to that. Matt, do you think there's a little bit of nostalgia in this? And I think of, you know, demographics and millennials being kind of peak, uh, more millennials now than anything. Mm -hmm. A lot of my millennials grew up in suburbs too. Um, and then we, we left the suburbs and we we're like, this is lame milk toast. You know, uh, <laughs> no, I don't want to deal with HOAs move downtown. And then all of a sudden everyone, you know, got jobs, married, having kids. And, and there's, there's all this like nostalgia that's going around, whether it's the nineties nostalgia and you look at the bands that are going on tour that are selling a lot of tickets. It's like the bands that were big in the you know mid two thousands. And so, um, you think there's a little bit of nostalgia for the suburbs, even and because it's, I, you can go back and they're actually like nicer. They're like way better than you remember. And you get some space, you know, and your I, friends live there now. Well, I think that there's a little bit of reverse nostalgia for their, for the early twenties for, you know, for the millennials in their twenties, they were in downtown and they want to bring that back to the suburbs. Um, Good point. I, I, I do think that like, now this but, is very, very oversimplifying, but at, if a person grows up and gets a kid, they're probably going to want a yard, a bigger yard than they have downtown. Um, and that's like, mentioning schools also. It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's schools and, and like just raising a family and starting a family, you're going to want more space. Now I think that that's the weird part about what's happening now in the suburbs is I don't think it's necessarily all people that want to want a yard, a dog and two kids and a wife and a husband. <laughs> uh, maybe you get all of them. Um, but I, I don't think that you get all of them if you're living in a dense suburb. So maybe there is a, a larger proportion of renters um, that are able to create these walkable suburbs. Because yeah. this is what I was thinking of like, you know, if you want something that's truly walkable, it seems to run counter to the idea of large yards. Because I'd much rather walk past a single apartment building than I would walking past. 50 yards. Well, that's why you're seeing all the, like, the zero lot line developments. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like more developments I see are have much smaller yards. They are much more dense. And also, is a, it's often um, a little bit, um, I don't know, a little rattling because it's so different from the yeah. the subdivisions that were built, you know, 15, 20 years ago with big yards and like kind of the McMansion. Now they're, um, they look, you know, some look nice, some look a little cheaper, um, some look really, really nice. But they have like you know zero lot lines. Um, a lot of this is targeting more retiring baby boomers, but just people who are like mowing the yard is like a thing I don't want to have. I don't want to have to do. I don't want mm -hmm. to. I don't want it to take one to two hours every weekend. I want to do it in like twenty minutes. Or like if I hire someone to do it, it's going to be a, you know half the price. Um, so you're seeing that density, and um, I think people want a yard. Not everybody wants a huge yard, mm -hmm. and. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that um, demand 
um, in apartments. And you know, one of the value add tactics that we're utilizing right now, um, when we look at any acquisition, is if can we can we put in private yards um, into first floor units and garden style apartments where we would will fence in a portion um, just right off their patio or maybe near their front entrance and um, fence it in and put in artificial turf. So if they've got a dog, they have kids, they have like a little place they can go. They can let their dog out. Mm -hmm. um, their kids can just play outside in their little space You know, have like a little, you know, garden with some planters or something. It, but it's your space to be outside. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting, you know, I, and I'm, I'm probably overstating it in, in saying that there is a lot of room for experimentation in the suburbs, but you do get, you know, suburbs are starting to be this place where, yeah, you want some space, you go a couple blocks to the west and you can have your big yard. You want the kind of downtown feel, you can have that. If you want a kind of middle ground where you're still in an apartment, you still have a small yard, then there is space space for that. And I just think it's it's very interesting and it's a lot less like the suburbs that, that we grew up with. Um, yeah. That being said, you know, as much as as like people from Marion County or from Indianapolis proper will will perhaps roll their eyes at Carmel, Fishers, Nobleville, Zionsville, but uh, all the all the suburbs. But man, you drive past there, and even my son was like, "This is a lot of space. This is really nice." Yeah, this is yes. nice. Yes, it is. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I can see the appeal. I'm still in Indy, but I, I've been able to carve out a little bit of space here. Kind of in the city but uh yeah, yeah it's it, there's there's definitely the appeal it's all nice it's new it seems mm -hmm. clean um it, it it does make it makes sense um something i'm going to relate this more to the, the multifamily market matt um but i think it goes to show that i mean the suburban assets um are commanding a premium i mean we were going after exactly. two suburban apartments um, recently and they are they they're going to go for low cap rates and they're going to go for mid fours low fours yeah um so it, it, they're still commanding a premium that's where we're seeing a lot of growth and that's where that um i recommend anyone if you're looking at apartment markets for potential acquisitions or just studying markets um don't just look at the you know the full cbd look at break down the sub markets whether you're mm -hmm. using a co-star or some other some other uh demographic market research tool look at all those sub markets um and look at where those that growth is because um, you'll see a lot of times in the CBDs or just the city, you're seeing decent growth, moderate growth within the suburbs. It's just like crushing it. You're seeing incredible numbers. Yeah. Um, and so that's where some of those gems are. When, and some suburbs yeah, more than others. Yeah. Some suburbs way more than others. Um, but that's where you can go into a market that if you look at it, if you analyze it as a whole market, you might say, I'm not too excited to go here. It's okay. Mm -hmm. But then you're like, if you just look a little bit deeper, get a little more granular you can find these little pockets that are just, they're just like, you know, they can be little gold mines. Yeah. Um, so I would take a look and check it, check it out. Um, Marcus Milchap has another good video on um, CRE momentum shifting to the suburbs. We're not going to watch that today, um, but you can go check that out on the Gray Report website, grayreport.com. And if you're signed up for the Gray Report newsletter, which again, you can do at graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter, you're going to stay up to date, check out the video, but make sure you've subscribed to the Gray Report YouTube channel getting the podcast as well um i'd love to hear some opinions on this whole suburb discussion and recession are we in a recession or not what's the your definition of a recession and are multifamily prices are they going to drop like single family well single family home prices haven't dropped but are they going to really cool like single family home prices um are we going to see some continued momentum what's going to happen with cap rates is what i'm asking price is going up 
prices going down. Um, nobody knows if they tell you that they know, they are full of it, um, including any economists because they've gotten it wrong so if many you know times. They'll comment on it. And if you know that there's a recession, please, please put it. Yeah, in if the you've comments. got to figure it figured out, like, let us know. <laughs> we'll have you on the show. That's right. Um, we will have you on the show. All right, guys. Remember, go to greatcapitalllc.com. Let us know what you think about our new website. Um, learn about the Gray Fund, all the fun stuff going on over at Gray Capital. Um, opportunities are only open to accredited investors. We're not giving any kind of investment advice here. We're just having some fun, entertainment, talking about real estate. Um, Matt, any any uh, weekend plans? Any doing anything fun? Uh, not as fun as not as much fun as you're going to be having. Oh, that's true. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where where are, where are you headed? Where are you going to going to Vegas? Going to Vegas. Haven't been to Vegas since the pandemic. So um, got to do some uh, some research in Vegas. Some, yeah. Look yep. at the market there. Yep. Demographic research. <laughs> that's great. Really. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much for watching us again. Subscribe and share this video. It helps the Gray Report get into hands and eyeballs of so many more investors and industry insiders who need this type of content. Um, appreciate you watching it. Catch the next Gray Report video next week.